when you reach the dead zone, you don't feel love, you don't feel all emotions anymore. They were there, but they were all buried under a pile of shit and all the things, the tiredness and everything and the mental health, the chemical mm. imbalance, everything mm. was just pressing down. there my name is sean and this is suicide noted on this podcast i talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories every year around the world millions of people try to take their own lives and we almost never talk about it and when we do talk about it many of us including me aren't very good at it so one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with attempt survivors a huge thanks to all the attempt survivors who have joined me here on the podcast to share so openly and honestly, since we first began in July of 2020, and to everybody who listens, we really appreciate it. And to all of the attempt survivors who joined me in 2020, I will be reaching out to you, and you can reach out to me if you'd like. We are doing updates. I want to hear where you are and how you are since we first connected for this podcast. Stay tuned for that. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com or on Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted. And I will include in the show notes a few links, ways in which you can help people find the podcast, ways in which you can support the podcast and so on. And please keep in mind, we are talking about suicide on this podcast. May not be a good fit for everybody. Please take that into account before you listen. But I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. Today, I am talking with Pat. Pat lives in California. And he is a suicide attempt survivor. Hey, Pat, how's it going? Nice meeting you. You too. Thank you for uh, reaching out. Yeah, absolutely. Are you home? I, yeah, I'm home uh, in Redwood City, California. Oh, sounds nice. Yeah, it's, it's nice. Where, where are you? I live in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Um, your home looks nicer than mine. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Are you from Quebec? Yeah, so born and raised in Quebec. Moved to Montreal to study business school. Uh, that's where I met my wife. So I lived in Montreal most of my uh, adult life. And then we moved eight years ago, we moved to Boston and we stayed there. We lived there six years and then we moved two years ago in California. Here we are. So I'm very Thanks. grateful to be here. So, what is your connection to suicide? Most people, no thanks. I want nothing to do with that conversation mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. Um, so I'm always truly so curious about people who are like, no, no, I want to talk about it. Uh, what's your What's your connection to it? Yeah, great question. So my connection uh, to suicide is, first of all, I'm a survivor of an attempt. So uh, about seven years ago, I would say almost, it's going to be eight years uh, this summer, but yeah, I attempted uh, suicide. So uh, that's as you can imagine, fairly close to me and close to my mm -hmm. heart and uh, mm -hmm. gladfully I survived. So now I'm using my lived experience to advocate and make sure that we talk about it, that there's resources mm -hmm. to help folks to prevent it first and also to help people uh, as well who survived. And uh, I did my uh, training as a, as a peer specialist as well. So back in Boston. Mm -hmm. So 
after my suicide attempt, I went back to my, what was my uh, usual uh, job, which was in marketing and the medical device industry, which I worked for 17, 18 years in commercial roles. So after my attempt, I went back to my old jobs. But after two, three years, I was like, no, I need to do something more meaningful that is closer to me. And so I just decided to uh, completely change career. And I found that peer specialist was existing. I never heard about that mm. profession before. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Peer, a peer specialist is somebody with lived experience with mental health challenges, mm-hmm. yeah. but also yeah. recovery. And yeah. there's a certification for that. So I did my certification in Boston and I worked in the field, helping folks, doing trainings and stuff. And uh, I'm still a certified peer specialist now, but uh, I started my, my own consulting business a year ago and I'm, I'm very active in the mental health uh, world, both in the US and in Canada and Quebec. When you say consulting, what are you actually doing? So um, I do awareness, education, training, and uh, developing programs in the workplace. So my main focus is in the workplace, but in companies, uh, but also organizations. It can be nonprofit organizations. So any workplace uh, setup. Sometimes I can just go and share my story because I had burnouts at work. I had panic attacks at work. I know what the business work world is like. So I can share that experience both on the business side, but also the struggle with mental health at mm-hmm. work, plus sharing my personal story. But the step ahead is that I can help uh, you know, building a culture that is more human, mm. uh, that takes care of the mental health. Uh, within the organizations. So uh, that's the main focus uh, of my, uh, my business. Wow. Yeah. I'm always in, in, within the mental health uh, world, but I do different things. And that's what I like to do. Um, I blame it on my ADHD as well. So that's, <laughs> I don't like diagnosis, but yeah, in lack of other terms. Uh, yeah. So, I, but I like to be, I'm focused in mental health, but I like to do, to be involved in different things. So there's the business side of I just described, but I also personally, like this yeah. is outside of my company. It's Patrice, the survivor yeah. uh, that wants to reach out to other survivors. That, yeah. Hence how I found your podcast. I was like, I've been uh-huh. looking for survivors since, since, since my own, uh, my own uh, episode or my own uh, challenge. So, uh, and I did a little bit and we can talk about it if you want, but when I heard Eloise say, she's looking for that, we need that. She's so right. So, that's right. where I do the advocacy work to make sure that um, we make a change and things change, not just saying it, but doing actions, which mm-hmm. I'm doing here in California, but I also do it back home in Quebec and in Canada, uh, in English Canada as well, if needed. So Yeah, there's not a lot for survivors. I think they do. You would probably know much more than I do about this, but it seems like there's a lot of talk, good talk, some talk around prevention awareness Mm -hmm. and then someone tries and then they go back home sometimes i'm sure that there are resources and people around to help but for the most part from what i've learned some of my own experience it's really not good i I, I could even say it's really bad really bad yes you're right mostly you're totally right like if you do research and i've done in the past in the past year i would say or six months to a year i really 
shift gears into into advocacy and really reach out to people who can make a change and try to to accelerate that which i'm right in it right now but in the research if you do search you try to find a support a peer support group mm-hmm. it, and it's fine we need that but it's all about people who lost somebody to suicide right so, survivor of loss or whatever the word but it's it's mm-hmm. around really focusing on, 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 on these people, which is, which is great, but it seems that all the resources goes for, for these people rather than not rather, but we need also for survivors. Uh, but even like there, I, I, there's three things I think, uh, we're missing out on groups to make sure the connection is made between survivors, because we have things to, to talk to each other. We need that connection Mm. because, we truly understand what we've been through. Like family is great, friends, everybody has been so great and, and supportive. Mm-hmm. But that's where peer support, the, the strength of peer support is having somebody who really knows what you're talking about. No judgment. You can talk. There's there's no topics of the table and you can talk in a safe space. So first of all, like a, a peer support group for survivors of an attempt, but just having peer support groups talking about suicide. So if you have suicidal ideations, if you're, yeah, you're thinking about suicide often or just sometimes and you want to talk about it, there's not, there's no groups as well that focus only on that. Like the topic will come up if you go into a depression support group, anxiety, of course. But I came across uh, what is called alternatives to suicide. Mm-hmm. You probably maybe heard about them. They started off in... Uh, in Bo- near Boston, and it, and I've attended that group a couple of times when I was living in Boston, and it's called Alternatives to Suicide, and it's a peer-led, peer a self-managed help group, mm-hmm. and they all meet once a week and talk about it. And it can be survivors, it can be you don't have to have had an attempt to do it, and uh, and it's just a safe place. So that's the second thing I'm advocating to it that I see that that we need as well. So, um, oh man, I don't always agree with what everybody says on here. I don't, but I so agree with you. Generally speaking, I don't know what's happening individually in someone's home down the block. Right. But, but what I hear is this knee jerk reaction to the word suicide. I get it. I think I understand why you're responding, why one responds with sort of a, but I also think we do, we do this thing where we, I, I call it, this is my, my term for it. It's a little weird, outsourcing empathy. Like get it over there. Yeah. And I always think if I'm coming to you, whether you're a friend or a colleague or whoever, I'm coming to you right now. And yeah, the therapist may be later today or tomorrow. Yeah. Why yeah. not right here? I'm talking to you. And I think that is hard to measure. Yeah. But if people were a little more aware of that and had the skills, there's a skill set involved. Sure. You want to talk about suicide prevention. Oh, man. Especially with men, men like us. I don't know how old you are, middle-aged men or Mm -hmm. near middle-aged. We're killing ourselves because we don't have people to talk to. Basically, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I don't mean to simplify it. I mean, there's obviously many factors, but we're just really fucking lonely. Mm -hmm. And we don't have people to talk to. So it just exacerbates it. And then we end up in, I'm talking about my own story here a little bit, but you end up in a, a week stay at a psych center, which for me didn't do anything. It actually kind of made it worse. So 
yeah, I appreciate you bringing that stuff up and doing all the work you do. All I do is this and I, I'm proud of it, but I don't do enough, I think, in the community. I'd love to start a group like that. It's great what you do because I found when I searched, I said, finally, like we, we talk about it. And actually, I, and maybe I'll be happy to have you on my podcast because I want to sure. start a podcast, Mental Health for Men. There's a bunch of, the, of those out there, but I don't feel that they address what I want to say and and the style of it like being blunt and honest and i'll keep ponder the word suicide because until you're in it and you experience it yes you want to avoid that word because it's so uncomfortable we don't know what to do with it we don't want to have to deal with it yes we want to be everybody wants to be supportive of the cause but who's really putting you know rolling their sleeves and and really you know wear the wear the t-shirt or you know the word so I really appreciate first the opportunity that you invited me and have the discussion and you're damn right, right with men. That's what happened. I can tell my part of my own story as well is that my, my wife had the phone in her hands and I didn't want her to, to call 911 the night before because I was so scared. I couldn't talk about it. And I was so scared that they would lock me down in a psychiatric hospital for the rest yeah. of my life because yeah. I was so, so, uh, Mm-hmm. down in, with the depression mm-hmm. uh, I was completely no more feelings nothing so to me the reality was they're gonna lock me down for the rest of my life I'm done I'm useless and I was so scared but that's one thing is that I couldn't I didn't express that because maybe if I would have to- told my wife what I was scared about and we talked about it and I, it's not a I don't, I'm not blaming my wife I'm blaming my, myself First of all, not having talked about it way before that time, like months before, because I struggled for seven, six months before my attempt and I tried to get help and, and stuff. That's another story. But mm-hmm. uh, but just to say that, yeah, it's so hard to, to talk about it. So my hope is that let's talk about it before we get to that point. Yeah. And, and the stu- you probably saw the studies, like you read studies and most of the men, once they talk, it's when they are in the ER and yeah. when it's at that point, like hopefully, like gladfully they do it. But often we talk when it's, it's coming way too late. And, and sadly, sometimes it's too late, like men yeah. don't have time to talk and they didn't talk and then they, they're gone. And it, that, I think that can be avoided in many cases. Right. I think for the most part, people, men included, want to talk. I think there are reasons we don't talk and they're not. And those reasons are often very valid. We have been told explicitly or implicitly, I don't want to hear it. And so what would you do in that case? Most people would stop talking. And that's dangerous. That's so dangerous. Pat, if I had one thing I could help people with, and I should actually more actively try this is learning how to have these kinds of conversation, which includes a certain kind of listening, but it's not the only skill involved. Can we go back if you're comfortable? You had said almost eight years ago, you attempted. As best you can recall, do you know what sort of led up to that? And that's a great question. And and just as a sidebar, um, I, I wanted to write an article just on that. Just say, don't ask me why. Because for a, an attempt survivor, and that's such a difficult question, especially yeah. if it's fresher. Like in the first weeks and months, I was so scared people would ask me why, because I didn't have a full picture. I don't want to say I have a clue, but mm. things happen so fast. And I'll tell you what happened to me. But 
it's just so maybe if we're mindful and I, I, I really appreciate the, that you asked permission or the way you asked me the question, which makes a whole different than just mm. somebody asked me just two days ago, like, why, why did you do that? And sometimes it's like, okay, uh, have you earned, are we there in our relationship? Like, I don't right. really, I, I understand the, the intent wasn't, wasn't bad. Like, I mean, the person right. didn't have a bad intent. It was, it was not uh, in a bad way, but mm. I explained to the person say, maybe just, just be careful when you, if you ask somebody and maybe just check in with them, if it's okay to ask a question, because I'm okay with it. Cause it's part of my job. I'm a certified peer specialist. I tell my story all the time and not everybody is a peer specialist or is comfortable. And maybe it's, it's so fresh that they didn't have the full picture and it feels so bad. And you feel like shit, like not knowing and having an answer, like, what the hell are you talking about? You you attempted suicide and you don't know why? Yeah, okay, I have some ideas, but you should yeah. know like the whole picture and say, okay, well, it's a million, like the, the TV series, and it's a million little things. So do you have time? <laughs> Let's sit down and talk. Sure, so, I mean, yeah. yeah. A lot of things is how you frame it. So uh, here's one quick example. I don't ever want to compare my experience with yours. It's not a competition. But if I say, hey, I don't want to compare our experiences, but I went through this really hard thing. And some of what you said reminded me of that. You're probably open to hearing it. But if I don't frame it that way and I just say, oh, I also went through something hard. It's like, oh, wait. And these little things add up. These little ways we communicate or engage in conversations result in people putting their in doing this or being open. It's a it's a game changer. We need to teach people this. We really do. And I don't know how to always do it, but so let's go back to whenever you want to go back to and then start there. Yeah. Yeah. To me, life is, was too short to be sad and depressed. So no time for sadness, anger or whatever, just fun and just pleasant emotions. I always shut down and and block like bad emotions. Mm. Um, Also at home, we didn't really talk deeply about topics, so it was more superficial. So I built up a lot of rage inside of me. I didn't know where it was coming from. But anyway, so I went on to uh, the work life, workforce, uh, an adult. And in 2004, like three, probably three, four years after I started like uh, big jobs and, and marketing and, and, and the, in the world, I was uh, in my early 20s. I had a first burnout. I'm a perfectionist, a people pleaser, et cetera. So uh, that, was, that was hard. So I took meds, I took time off and I went back to work. It was fine. And then, but I always had that, that rage and I was forcing something. And then I didn't realize I was playing a role. I was putting a mask. I was not being myself at all. I was trying to please everybody, talk nicely and do a job. Like, I'm not even sure if I would have done like uh, being a marketer. I was good at it. I think I had success. I had like awards and stuff like that, which is great. And somewhat I liked it, but I think I was forcing something as well in myself. And, and that, that adds up as well. So Adding up, like not being myself, uh, a lot of rage inside of me, not expressing. That was one thing. Plus, I have ADHD, which I never treated or did anything with it. And with ADHD, I felt I wasn't good enough. I was not super good at school. And I, was, I had to do more effort to think. And my job was doing strategy. And, and you can imagine like sitting down and strategize instead of doing stuff like uh, a lot of uh, people with ADHD uh, likes to do or at, mm-hmm. at least in my case so I was I was stretching a lot of parts of me that 
were more difficult plus the emotions and then we moved to uh we moved to boston and it's not the move to boston that that triggered my descent if i can say my my downward spiral but the fact that i move move country the move from canada to the us you know moving is one of the big stressors so then i needed to find a job in the us in my field so that was another stressor so there was a lot of stressors together plus i was turning in my 40s so i think the midlife crisis it went on top of that the one thing it just started to go super fast so i started to doubt myself i was like oh can i do that job i was reading like job descriptions when i was applying and i, I was thinking to myself wow there's no way i can do that job but Mm. I had experience like 17, 16 years experience behind me. Yes, I could do that job like with my eyes closed, but still I was doubting it. Mm. Then I would spend my days practicing my interviews, shoveling papers, staying in my pajamas all day. My wife would come back home and I would still be at the same place, not achieving anything because I would froze and lose self-confidence. And it just started to go down. And and that's one thing I, I tell people like, yeah, you think you're on top of the world of uh, mental health is far from you until it, it hits you and you just, it can go fast. And to me, it went fast. So from January, I would say to my attempt in July, that was hell in like a, a seven, six months of hell where I had panic attacks at home and at work. Uh, I was very depressed. Um, I still went, was trying to go to work. I found a job a good job in my field but I, I was starting to have panic attack at job because mm. it was not good enough uh, I just wanted to you know to run away um, and I was over exercising as well like adrenaline was always in, in, uh, mm-hmm, around the, mm-hmm. in the roof so um, I want to ask you about panic attacks because I think people have some misconceptions about what that feels like yeah. in, in as much as you're comfortable and I know it, it manifests or presents differently so for you what does it feel like, if possible, to describe? What does a panic attack feel like? Yeah, uh, dying, heart attack. Mm. Yeah, heart attack, dying. Uh, it kind of freezes dizziness. Yeah, to me it was a yeah dizzy. Yeah, it's almost like a like a heart attack, and even sometimes you can have pain like I had around the heart, but it's more on on the chest, like a pinch, like a big pinch mm. on here, and then my throat would would start closing, and I, I still I get these signs like the throat and the pinch in the chest. It's been a while now uh, for sure, but uh, once in a while it can come back, and I, and now I don't panic anymore because I know what they are. So I breathe, I I do my breathing technique, mm-hmm. and I know it, it's gonna pass. But the first time, man, I was like, what the hell is that? I didn't know what it was. And I was trying to catch my breath. And it lasted, a, I don't know, maybe like, to me, it was long, but maybe like a couple minutes. Then I, I took some fresh air. I went back. But then afterwards at work, I would jump off my chair, literally like in my office, jumping off, off my chair. And I just wanted to run away. But where do you run? Like, I can't run from myself. So at a restaurant with a friend, the same thing. I went to the restroom and it happened. And I just wanted to go out. I told my friend, we need to get out now, get out. And we just took off and he spoke to me and he calmed me down. But Mm. yeah. I don't know how people really live with those. When they get, they're getting them regularly. It's it's like, how do you do the things that we need to do, right? Just work is a big one, but even smaller things, you know, daily life maintenance things. It's very hard to do that when you feel that way. 
oh yeah it paralyzes you, you right know, it's a it's hard and people live with general general anxiety disorder too and um they, mm. that's what happens and they have to to live with it and you can take meds i mean you can take uh, benzos or anti-anxiety but they can be addictive too so that's yeah. why I, that's a thing too like i've never been into much of the drugs and everything so i would not take enough of anti anti-anxiety meds because i was afraid to be hooked on yeah but i should have taken those because i could have like avoided a bunch of big panic attacks like now it's passed but now that i know and say like my one of my good psychiatrists at the hospital said you know what try to manage your anxiety or panic attack we'll deal with the addiction afterwards because i've been suffering so much it right. led me to and all that i i told you before led me to my suicide attempt because at one point I was so stressed. I couldn't sleep anymore. I was sleep deprived. I was, I'm already small, but I was super skinny, adrenaline all day, like 24 hours a day, almost. Mm -hmm. I was so tired. And then it just added up. One thing I wanted to say is that I learned a couple of things after the fact. So that's why I'm super, you know, an advocate of prevention and knowing stuff. But for those who may listen, like when you reach the dead zone, and I don't know if that happened to you, but to me, I learned that term after I was released from the hospital. I did like a couple of weeks in an outpatient uh, program at McLean's Hospital in Boston. And it's great because you learn about what happened to you. But I was like, man, was there a way I could learn that before it happened to me? And even when it was happening to me, because when your feelings all shut down, you don't think you love your wife anymore. You don't feel love. You don't feel all emotions anymore. That was distressing to me because everybody knows I always talk about my wife. I love her. And to me, it didn't make sense. I was like, my wife would ask me, do you still love me? And I couldn't lie and say yes, because I couldn't feel it. So we were both crying. I was like, it doesn't make sense. And she said, well, if you don't feel it. But the thing is that they were there, but they were all, you know, buried under a pile of shit and all the things, the tiredness and everything and the mental health, the chemical mm. imbalance, everything mm. was just pressing down. And one of the doctors who did the class afterwards when I was in the outpatient pay, uh, program said, have you felt that? This is, this is the dead zone. And this is a point that is so dangerous because that's when you think about go in action mode. Mm. And But he said, I said, what should I do when that happened? And when it happened, what, what could have I done? And he said, and he said something that would stick to me. He said, make an educated guess. So even if you don't feel it, there's no hope. Just think like you thought. You said, it doesn't make sense. Maybe maybe there's something wrong. There's something that's working. I know it's hard to do when you're it, completely out mm -hmm, of it. And mm -hmm. I know, I know it's hard. Especially, uh, Pat, yeah. especially if you're alone. Yes. Yeah. Right. And we're going back to this. Yes. community and support everybody or most people would agree the importance of friends and family particularly those you can talk to but there's a lot of people they start ruminating hard right mm -hmm. and they're maybe they're in that dead zone yeah. and they don't have a best friend or a spouse or a nearby sibling to say hey you know this doesn't sound like you let's just take a walk and and that's so right because they don't have yeah. that at all so what happens oh yeah yeah, you're right. I don't have a solution to that. I'm just sort of, it's an observation and it's, it's a concerning one. 
but you 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 mentioned it peer support and that's what it yeah. peer support people don't know that there there are free online and in person peer yeah. support groups not judgmental it's not clinical you can yeah. say whatever you want yeah there's a little code to follow but and it's not rigid like the aa and these kind of groups it's you can walk in and just talk to somebody and you can there's warm lines you can call warm lines too but mm-hmm. if you want a group of people going through same things and the goal is not to find solutions it's just to share and mm. see that yeah what you're going through is normal like what you're going through other people too and and they can understand and yeah sometimes they can share like what worked for them it, it's super helpful and there are there because there's there's waiting lists for people to see uh, therapists and psychiatrists and especially like in Quebec I know it's long like if you go in you know we have the public system like yeah free healthcare for everybody but it's going to take you two years and a year to see somebody so in the meantime I tell people try to find if you can and locally both in US and Canada there are a bunch of peer support groups um, Mm -hmm. and you can join and that can help. One of the main things I do with this podcast or try to do is help people who hear it feel like they're less alone, like they're not the only one going through something. I do tend to ask some questions that can be off-putting for some. So with that, I want to ask you, the day of your suicide attempt, Mm -hmm. I'm curious, what's different about that day? What's different about that day? They didn't do it the day before. What does that feel like to say, I'm done? Yeah. To me, it was pretty clear. I, I didn't have that clear thought before the day before you know what I mean like even within the six months I was such in pain and I was like man but I don't think I had those ideas or if it came to my mind like it was further down and I didn't think about maybe I did but not not like as much as the day before where I was suffering so much I was completely fed up like even my my doctor or my pharmacist said man your body is starting to shut down like I I was uh, completely sleep deprived sleep deprived and everything so and I, I remember at time because we went to a museum my wife and I there was an event or something and I think that that weren't clear like that in my mind it just click and say ah oh, I got the solution and it was clear and I felt relieved and I I was like okay now how am I gonna do it and everything so I, I started thinking about that and coming back home I started to look and you know just make my plan we went to bed my wife tried to call 911 because she cut me trying to check stuff and said what you're doing and anyway so that was that was pretty hard and um, she tried to call 911 she was scared because I would never hurt her but she didn't know what I would do like either run away from home or so anyway so she calmed me down we went back we went to sleep and I snuck out in the more early morning to me, it was clear. And some people it happens, but I never had like a come to Jesus moment where uh, I saw the light or something click and say, no, I'm not doing it. I was, it was clear to me because I was, I thought I didn't love anybody anymore. Even my parents, I was just not human anymore. And I was more a burden to anybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, And -hmm. then to me, it was just, that's when it was, uh, it was clear. So there was no other, uh, other options. So, um, and the pain and, and people think it, it's selfish. Yeah, everybody has got their opinion. I mean, looking somebody suffer, not doing anything, this is selfish. I fought, I knock on doors, I tried to get help, I got refused help. And mm-hmm. I did, I fought so hard to stay alive until the end. And then it became just 
the the thing to me at that point i don't say i don't say the right thing but to me at that time in that mind state it was that was the thing yeah and how did you try oh i don't know if i gonna go in that way i don't really mention it but it it left it left the scars and visible scars but funny not funny it's not funny but yeah funny enough um, i never uh got stuck on these scars because when i look in the mirror i can see them uh-huh. but to me it was when my recovery started after being hospitalized i had scars i had st- stitches and, and stuff and when i see them i don't think i i it made me sad a little bit but not for a long time i i think yeah. i was more into okay it's a new chapter i have help my recovery is starting it's a steep steep slope but i'm going through it and you know if if people ask me i don't lie about it now and yeah. that's one thing like if people ask me oh what are these scars on your neck like i attempted suicide and then people uh, i say well you ask the question <laughs> you're gonna you won't get the lie anymore i'm not lying about it anymore how many people how often do people ask about that not often it happened at work i think when i came back because like the scar was more like more apparent, more fresh. Then I got a bit of plastic surgery because they did a lousy job uh, in the emergency room and operating room. But uh, I got it like done better. But I still, I still have the cars. Then they're not too apparent. But uh, if people ask, I mean, I would yeah. say, are, are you ready for? Do you want the real answer or kind of prepare the people to, for the answer? But it's good because it raises awareness. So please ask me. <laughs> So what, what's it like to, at least for one moment in your life, not want to be alive and then you attempt and you are alive and then you're going to go walk back into your house or see your wife or go to work. What is that like? It's so confusing. Like it's frustrating first. Like it's not because like uh, you've been, you attempted, you're in the hospital. They give, try to give you meds and help you out. Like when you, when I woke up, I was mad. Like I was mad at to be here like that was not the plan and I always thought I said I'm gonna attempt but I'm gonna do something like to make sure like I'm gone I don't want to be that guy on tv that tried to blow up half of his I didn't do it with with weapons but you know what I mean like I I was traumatized by that when I was young like seeing testimonial by people who attempted and they really injured themselves like physically and and they live with that and it kind of stayed in my mind but then when I woke up I said man what am I doing here? So I was kind of mad a bit. And then my, all my friends were there, my wife. So afterwards I was like, okay, uh, I, I told them, I, I even told them I was sorry that I didn't call. Uh, that's the first thing I told my, one of my mm. good buddies, he always said, then give me a call, tell me, or, and I didn't. So I felt bad about that. So I said, sorry. And then, yeah, it's hard like to, to go back to reality, but then with, with the therapy and the medication, you know, my head stuck out of the water a bit and I start to see a bit more clearly and I felt mm. less the pain, the suffering. I did good programs and then, yeah, step baby steps and, and work on myself. I discovered the awareness and mindfulness at the hospital. So I did meditation and mindfulness to be aware of what I'm feeling, not block any feelings anymore feel the feelings, see what they are. And they're just feelings like they're going to pass, just like body sensations or thoughts you have in your head. It's just passing stuff. You don't have to grasp on those. You are where you are now, <laughs> but you talking to you in 2014, that oh, no, you man, might was... hear that and you'd be like, no, sorry, you don't get it. And there are people, and you know this, 
that are going through that right now that will hear this and they're like, what the fuck is that? Are they talking about? Yes, but it, I mean, the frustrating thing is it's self-determination. Like you cannot force somebody to to do mindfulness, to to get into recovery mode. You don't force it. It has to come. So even Mm -hmm. as a peer specialist, I was helping people. And my goal is not to say, come on, shake it off and do something like you need to find that spark. If people have the spark, you have to respect people, uh, you know, timing and where they are, meet them where they're at. But like, to me, uh, I took my recovery. Like I take other things, like I'm a performer, like an achiever. So I think I I was in that mode to say, okay, I'm going to be serious about it and do whatever it takes because uh, I'm still here. Mm. And uh, yeah, the first week sucked because I, but I, I, after my attempt, I, I, I haven't attempted afterwards. Like I was in full like recovery mode, and I had uh, uh, suicide thoughts for sure in the in the weeks and the months, and even like uh, in more recent times, but not to the point to act on it. And I talked about it. Mm-hmm. I told my wife about it. Yeah, it freaks people out sometimes, but say okay, I had just these thoughts. It surprised me as well. Mm-hmm. I don't want to act on it. I'm happy. Mm-hmm. It's just sometimes it can pop back up. But yeah. You're still married to the same woman? Yep. All right. Oh, yes. Yes. Congratulations yes. on that. I yes. guess that's a yes. weird way to respond, but <laughs> it sounds like she's a good human being and she's been through a lot with you. So I'm glad you made it with her. Yes. Thank you. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's, but, but you're right. Like it, that's the thing with recovery, but I think there, yeah, people can listen and there are different points. And I do, uh, I do share my story with psychiatric wards uh, as part of my work too. And I know what, I understand what people are going through because they're in the psychiatric ward, not the same hospital, but I've been in, the, in their place as well. Yeah. So I know what I'd feel. So we try to talk about that. And I, I put myself back when I was there and how it's overwhelming and it's hard. And, but absolutely like there's hope and turn around. And when I wanted to write a book or something, I said, maybe the, my, the title of my memoir would be, should I say thank you to my suicide attempt and to my severe depression? Because, because of that, I discovered my true self and I'm doing what I like in life, which is what I'm doing right now, talking Mm. to you and helping others rather than being in a marketing role where I was struggling and, so my life, I'm way more happier and more relaxed than I was before. And I'm not suggesting to people to go in severe depression and, and attempt suicide. But the, my point is that it really changed my life. And it happened to me, but to so many people I talk to. But I know when you're in it, it sucks. It's hard. It's painful. Mm-hmm. But just talking and meeting with other folks that go through the same thing, just, just doing that, it makes mm-hmm. a whole difference so i want to i want to add though i think i think that you and you might not agree you might not agree i don't think you have to have gone through something like this to listen well oh yeah sure yeah yeah, yeah. and that's sure. important yeah, i agree with you i haven't gone through this so i'm not gonna listen what by the way i love the idea of your title for your memoir but that's a really long title <laughs> i know you try to get that published <laughs> they might not like that title you might have to shorten it I'm open-minded to suggestion, but yeah, you're right. It's a bit long. And, uh, <laughs> as someone who's never published a book, don't listen to me. It's just one guy. So it sounds like, and you know, you, if you've heard the podcast, there's some questions I typically ask. Yeah. Some people, almost nobody knows. There have been people who have joined me on this podcast and I'm the first person. You are not that person because of the work you do. And from what you've shared, a lot of people know that you attempted. Yes. 
Yeah. Oh yeah, it's public. Yeah, it's part of my work. And uh, like at the beginning, I wouldn't share it before I became a peer specialist. So after my attempt and the months, even like I told you, I went back to work two, three years after my attempt in the same set in the same kind of work. I was lying. I was in terms of my if people asked about my scars or I wasn't talking about it because first of all, it was not a, a great environment. Plus, uh, I, I wouldn't trust the people there. Plus, uh, I don't know. I didn't want to make it. I didn't want people to label me because it's a piece of my life. It's not who Patrice is. Like people were so surprised that I attempted suicide, just like the comedian, because I like to laugh. I make people laugh and I'm outgoing and I love life. I love to try a bunch of things. I'm curious, adventurous and stuff. And that's just a piece of my life that happens. So to me, I'm not a, a suicide attempt survivor. I'm more than that. It's just a part of my story, which is mm-hmm. just a piece. So it, it, it's not the whole thing. So, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm, yeah, I'm open about it for sure. Yeah. You said that you went in as part of your recovery, you went to therapy. Yep. Did you ever get a die? I know you mentioned you have ADHD. Did you get any other diagnosis that you thought was accurate or correct? At that time of suffering the severe depression, for sure. Anxiety as well. I don't have generalized anxiety disorder, but I live, I say that I live with anxiety because it, it's part of me. In general, I have a performance anxiety. It's not just stress. Like it's a bit more anxiety. Like I, I'm, I'm easygoing. I can talk in the platforms and stuff, but uh, I'm a perfectionist or in recovery. So I, yeah, yeah. I like to say, so I'm working on that, but uh, yeah, these, and then, um, yeah, I think these are the main three, like anxiety, uh, depression, but I, I'm not chronically depressed. Like I think my ADHD causes anxiety and depression. Now mm-hmm. I'm making, I'm connecting the dots because uh, I just started to, uh, to take medication for my ADHD at 46 and it helps me. Uh, maybe it would have been a good idea if I had known before, but yeah. you know, I cannot go back, but at least now it yeah. helps. So, um, it's hard. And when people talk, you know, I was the first one and still sometimes like when people talk about letting go acceptance and all these big words and stuff, I'm like, I used to be like, Oh, just leave me alone. And it's just, but now, you know, I opened my mind, I experienced it, I try it for real, not just buzzwords, because mindfulness and yoga and meditation, now it's in fashion, people, wow, it's nice to say, hey, I meditate every morning, but yeah, I try to meditate every morning, because it grounds me, it really helps me, it's not, and I don't brag and talk about it to everybody, hey, I meditate, and I'm so good, no, it's, I do it, because it, it works for me, and I know it works for a lot of people, but yeah, it's, it's just a, I don't, I think we have to keep it simple, like finding what works for you, like uh, as a person with what you like and what you, there's so many coping skills, strategies and, and things we can all do individually to help us. We just need to, to find what, what's worked for you. Like nobody says you have to meditate. You have to do this and that, like you do your, you, you make your own recovery because it's so personal. So, um, but there's yeah. so many tools out there. So it sounds like you found yours or some of them, some things yeah. that help. And I'm still, I'm still learning uh, tools. I, I'm open to learning. I, I read a lot and I try to learn from other people too. So that's the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. That's the beauty of listening. Well, is for me anyway, you learn from everyone. Yeah. Not just teachers, not just doctors, not just parents, everybody. I think if you can enter into conversations with that mindset, hmm. It's not just for you. It's for them. It's just, it's such a 
beautiful energy in a, in a conversation that I wish we saw, I saw more of. I just wish yeah. we saw more of that, I think. Yeah, and you do it with, uh, you don't have to be a specialist. Like what you do right now with your podcast, like you do the peer, we say peer, the peer work because you've done through your own story and you're curious about it. And that's what I like about people as well when they have that curiosity because with curiosity, like we can bring break down barriers and be curious mm -hmm. Even mm -hmm. if you come across like people who hear voices, it happens and they have successful life. Yes, at first it's like, oh, you hear voices, but why don't you ask them or ask permission to ask them like, how is it like? Is it must be scary and be yeah. compassionate and just be curious about it yes. and ask the question and people won't say like, why are you? Maybe they will say, hey, why are you asking me that? You don't have the right to, but I would say most of the time they'll be happy because it shows you care and you, You want to learn more about what, how it oh. is to, to, to go through that. So I could talk for hours, but yes. it's just uh, you're right about like everybody can have a role in helping others. You don't have to be skilled about it, even about suicide. If you're respectful and you're not judging and especially around suicide, like if we can help people not freak out when they hear the word. And yes, mm -hmm. I, and I truly understand like if I haven't gone through it, even before I went through it, Yeah, I didn't want to talk about it too because it felt uncomfortable. I didn't know what to say, what to do. But you said just actively listen, not judge, not freak out and call 911 if somebody said the S word and just say, hey, what are you going through? Talk to me and can I, how can I help you? Can, can we go get support together if you want or you just want to chat? Mm -hmm. Most of the time, mm -hmm. people just talking about it will unload a lot of stuff and Mm -hmm. we don't have to find solution that's the thing not try to fix people we cannot save everybody because you're going to kill yourself trying especially like a, as a, a peer a peer support specialist even nurses doctors i think they learned that as well that like people have control or not on their life but all we can do is try to be there support and help you can't yeah. save everybody You, you might you might offend somebody it's possible hey what's that like let's use your example with hearing voices I'll, i'll bet a lot of money money i don't have that almost nobody asks them that question yeah oh yeah yeah sure. and they are more than likely i can't guarantee this case by case more than likely going to be so appreciative that another human being is taking an interest in their experience the other thing is from what you've shared and sort of remind me of makes me think like Most of the time, if someone says the S word, suicide, they're not doing it right now. They're, they don't have a gun to the head literally right now. I'm not sure what to do in that example, yeah, that yeah, situation. Yeah, yeah. yeah, They're just talking about it. And if you actually are hell bent on providing or offering a solution, you don't even have enough data yet. Jumping to that is, is counterproductive anyway. Yeah. But you know what? It, it, it reminds me too that, yes, people maybe are not there, but Why don't we ask the question? And it's it's fine to ask. I was help. Uh, I can help a friend and say the friend is struggling, and we're chatting. And even like he would or she would just tell me, "Yeah, I'm really struggling. They're going through a rough patch." Maybe because okay, I went through it, but I would ask if I see that they're really struggling. Just ask the question. Like okay, then I ask the question. How are you really feeling? Tell me more about it. So we have the discussion, discussion, discussion. And at one point I would say, do you have suicidal thoughts? Have you thought about suicide? And that's okay. People don't know it's okay to ask that. And I don't think you will offend the person. They might be surprised because maybe they're not there, 
but maybe they won't, they will lie to you and say, no, no, no. Like I, I would do, like I would lie to people and to doctors and say, no, 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 I'm not thinking about it. And I was damn right. I was thinking about it, but even then like opening it up and say, okay, I'm okay to talk about it and just checking with the person. And they might say, oh no, I'm not there. Like I'm, I'm really stuck in a bad place, but I know I'll get through blah, blah, blah. And they go on, or maybe they will say something else, but just be upfront and ask the question and follow up afterwards and ask again yes. later and just say, hey, I'm here. If you want to talk about it, don't worry. I won't call anybody and we'll, we can just be in a safe space and talk about and it. And you're also planting, I don't know, not planting seeds. You are letting somebody know the next time you're going through this, give me a call. Because yeah. I always say, and this is a little harsh. I don't want to be the last person someone talks to, you know? I'm going to do whatever I can to make what I don't know what that looks like always. It's going to vary. Now you are, uh, you do all of this work. You speak to people. It sounds like in, in some of your, in your role or roles, you listen, you create a space for people to talk about these things. How many people do you have in your life to talk about these difficult things? And I don't mean a bald guy in North Carolina. Do you have people? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Yes. So I do have people, like you mentioned, I mentioned my wife, like we always communicate it and, and tell each other everything. So that that's great. So, and I trust her. And, and like you said, she's been through what I've been through uh, as well, but it's good to, I feel it's good to expand to that. So what I expand is I have good uh, childhood friends that I still have, like uh, my gang from, uh, from Quebec city. So my childhood friends, they're dispersed there's a, a bit of them out west and out east so there's there's a uh, these guys too but i also wanted to expand so i expanded to peer support workers which i studied with so i have a good friend steve who's uh, he's done the class with me the certification peer support and we became really good friends and mm -hmm. i know with him i can tap on things really differently from let's say my wife or uh, let's say I don't want to freak out my wife if I have a suicidal ideation. I might talk to my friend Steve instead because like he's a peer specialist and he's a newer friend. Not that it's bad, but I mean, he doesn't have like all the background and everything from, from the past. Like he's, he's completely open-minded and not judgmental. Not that my friends will judge me, but uh, he's been through it and he lives with his own challenge. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, for sure. I think, I think it's, it, to me, it's good. And I think it's good to have like a, like different go-to people, depending on your level, how you feel and what you want to talk about. So, yeah. um, but you were, you were mentioning about people living alone and, and not having a circle. It's good. Like, even if it's a, a therapist or a doctor that you trust, or it can be a, a colleague or, or finding these peers, if you go to a peer support group, you know, when you go often, you develop relationship with the folks that you see every week and uh, you can find somebody there because, I mean, they're not family. They're not like longtime friends. They're, they're detached as well in a detached in a good way. And then they, they really have the compassion and they, they understanding what you're going through. So, and often people in these groups are open to, uh, you know, sharing their contact or not all of them, but it, it happens because they want to help each other mm -hmm. and be there for each other. So long answer, but that's, that's my, uh, my group. And yeah, talking to you, like this is very uh, therapeutic. Yeah, just to have that chat and uh, meeting new people mm -hmm. that makes a difference. So I'm super grateful that I met you and that you're doing that work seriously. I'm not saying that to flatter you, but kudos and 
Yeah, um, thanks. I'm sure that we'll come across again because I'd love to uh, have you on other platforms and other stuff that I'm working on. So uh, I would love great, that. Great yeah. work. I love that. Uh, I only have two more questions. Is that yes. cool? Yes, yes. Is suicide a possibility for you moving forward, do you think? I, I would say this work, this, this, in this way, like a possibility, it could, because I don't think I'm, I'm protected from it. Like if things go down, like super and go down fast, it could, I'm not saying that it, it mm -hmm. couldn't, but the probability is low, like possibility. It's always possible, but it's, it's less probable because I've, I've developed coping skills. The awareness I was talking about. Like you don't have to go to an awareness, mindfulness class to do that. It's just paying attention to what you're thinking, what your thoughts are, your feelings, your body sensation, and don't freak out with it. Just say, okay, what am I, what is going on right now? Checking with yourself and then make a decision to do something, call a friend, breathe, write a journal or whatever. Mm -hmm. This is just a, yeah, just a, a first step. So I think I have all these And I have an emergency plan as well. So level one, this is how I'm feeling. This, this is what I can do. Level two, this is how I'm feeling. This mm -hmm. is what I can do. Three, and having those plans, I think, helps. So I think I'm, I'm in good hands and somewhat protected to that happen. So uh, the answer would be no. Like I would say no, but yes, it can be possible. So I, I'm putting in place like a buoy or a life jacket, like, around mm -hmm. me so mm -hmm. it doesn't happen because yes i'm i'm scared sometimes that i can just lose my mind and start flipping and i don't know like my chemical Im imbalance or whatever can happen mm -hmm. i don't know but mm -hmm. i think there's so there's many stages and and things to look at that my wife noticed sometimes if i start playing with my hands i'm all over the place mm -hmm. i'm impatient i i reply like impatiently i have a hard time to focus These are kind of uh, signals that say, okay, something's not going the right way. And she will call me on those. And I ask her to call me on those and not get mad at her. Sometimes I still do get mad at her <laughs> for calling me out like, hey, you're all over the place. Hey, uh, are you okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The other question I have, the final one, and then I'll, you know, anything else you want to add about your recovery or, or the work you're doing. It, it, they sort of came up already, selfishness being one of them, that what are some myths? What, what are some myths around any of this? You, you talked about it like, a, like suicide is, is selfish. Selfish in a sense, people will say, well, think about your, your mother, you think about your, your wife and everybody. And this is shaming people. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say it bluntly. Not that I was put back in my place, but I think I was sharing that in a platform. And somebody said, well, maybe we can be careful not shaming people and, and play that card, say, well, think about your family and stuff. And I said, well, it, it can be some sort of shaming and make a person feel worse, which, were, which is my case and mm. with some other people I spoke to. But for other people, it worked. Like a, a lady said, well, you know, I thought about my children and that's what's made me stop and not go into action mode when I was ready to To, to attempt to my life that helped me. So yes, it can help, but sometimes it can shame people and make you feel worse. Because remember, like, like my story is that I was feeling like a burden. So I was doing a favor to my loved one. It was not selfish. It was altru altruistic. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. I'm a burden for them. I'm useless. So 
Right. It's just going to help them be more happy. So to me, when you tell me it's selfish, I was like, what are you talking about? So, <laughs> And one of the things I've learned is many people who are contemplating, that's all they're thinking about is their family and their friends. That's it. It's not, they're not thinking about them or they don't care. They're thinking about them non. This is not everybody, of course. Yeah. I, I've like a lot of people have said, oh man, in those, before I attempted in those days or weeks before, I could only think about my kids. I could only think about my family. I could only think about my mom. So I, it's just a misconception. It's just not accurate typically. Yeah. And also, I mean, I mean, like I told you, so I love my wife so much. We share a lot. I, I didn't want to leave her alone. Of course, it didn't please me to say, okay, or I didn't, I don't care about her anymore. Like I'll be mm-hmm, gone. Mm-hmm. No, I didn't want to leave her, leave her alone and do that. But the pain was so intense and the emotions all shut down to me. Like I was in another uh, state of mind. So, so I'm not mm-hmm. saying that, yeah, people have to go out and, and do whatever they want. That's not the point. Because like I, I said, like if I could avoid getting into that state of mind and that far in my suffering and my mental health condition, that would have been different. And of course, like uh, uh, I want to be there for my family and I want to do the work I'm doing now and I'm happy to be there. Yeah. And maybe another conception too is that it's not because you survived an attempt that suddenly life is great the next day. No, <laughs> like I felt shitty for out of the eight years, like for six, at least a good six years where I was feeling ashamed that I was not embracing my new life. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that was so hard. Like, mm-hmm. why am I not super happy to be alive and mm-hmm. like grateful? Thank you. I'm here. And I was searching for these feelings, but because I was searching so much to feel them, I, I didn't feel them at all. So, and until I, I decided to let go and just say, just live my life, just be happy and try to do like what you like and just stop thinking about it. And then it slowly came back and just say, Hey, and now I can say, Hey, I'm damn, I'm damn happy that I'm here because there's so much I want to do, help people and travel and so many things. But the first year's first month, like I was like, man, and you feel bad. I, I felt bad about it. So maybe it's something people don't, don't know or don't know about that, but um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anybody, we don't know who hears this podcast. So who knows? I want people to better understand what your work is these days. And perhaps someone hears this that can use your services. So can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks. Because we talk about it. So uh, this week in Quebec is the suicide prevention uh, week in Quebec. Mm -hmm. And I know there's one in Canada, there's one in the US, but uh, just sharing the theme, I know uh, we're more based in the US now, but the theme is uh, talking about suicide saves lives. Talking about it saves lives. Studies shows that if we talk about suicide, people don't attempt more, but it helps uh, avoid suicide. So, mm-hmm. so that's that's one one uh, one message. So, but I'm advocating and pushing to get those support groups. Uh, I think I was talking to you about so to have a, a peer support group that talks about suicide and have another peer support groups for attempt survivors. It's missing in Canada, in the U.S., and probably uh, around the world, but I'm focusing on Canada and U.S. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm advocating right now uh, in California and in my county because it's missing. I'm meeting with the Suicide Prevention Committee uh, 
in April to do a presentation, but any allies, advocates, if you are there, you hear about it and you're a survivor and you want to contribute and try to make things change and uh, build an alliance with organizations that already exist that can create those support groups. Because I try to, I can go and do a meetup and, uh, and create a support group, but I don't have the the outreach like the I cannot reach to thousands of people to know about it. So I'm advocating right. with mental health support, mm-hmm. mental health organization right now. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to use this platform and not just this platform, but like you give me the chance to do it, but thanks for that. But yeah. all the other platforms. So oh, yeah, you, that's, you, uh, it's so much easier to have the big fish on your side. I mean, it's very difficult when you're the true, the true grassroots, man, most yeah. of that is just slugging your way and you know, shit doesn't happen. So good yeah. for you for not so, quitting. Um, are you a, either a Montreal Expos or Montreal Canadiens fan? Oh, I'm from Quebec City. So I was a Nordiques fan. Oh, you were a Nordiques fan. Nordiques. And then I lived in Montreal and I couldn't cheer for Montreal. I did a little bit secretly just between the, you and I. But uh, oh, oh, the Nordiques are, they, well, what are they now? The Rockies? You're right. They moved to the Avalanche in Colorado and they won the Stanley Cup. So people like to rub it, rub that in my face. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> my pleasure. But now the Quebec has the Nordiques again, right? Uh, no, not yet. They won a team. They built a new coliseum, like a new rank, and they're waiting for the team. But, you know, Gary Bettman doesn't want to, he wants more money. So uh, they don't have a team yet. So Got yeah. it. But when I moved to Boston, I was cheering for Boston, even a bit back in Montreal. So, uh, yeah, so I was a, more of a Boston Bruins fan. So at that time. Gotcha. Not the Montreal, not the Habs, no Habs. I can't. My no. wife is, but I can't. No. <laughs> Fortunately for you this season, they're not very good. I am glad that your attempt was unsuccessful back in 2014. So you're here. Thank you. And then I'm glad that we, you reached out. I'm glad we talked. Anything else that you would like to share before we go? No, there's hope. Recovery is real and there's hope. So just reach out and uh, remember that, yeah, you can make a difference too. So if you're in recovery and you recovered, yeah, just talking and try to reach and make a difference. Just like, just like you do. You don't have to be a professional or peer specialist. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can all make a difference. So uh, yeah. And thanks for, thanks for the invitation. It's great. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, man. Thank you very much, Pat. I appreciate it. Great. All right, man. Have a good day. Yeah, uh, me too. All right. right, Thanks. Bye. Bye. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. Special thanks to Pat out in California. Thanks, Pat. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com or on Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted. And another gentle reminder, if you listen on Apple, please rate and review this podcast. It really does help people find it. And we want more people to find it. And of course, all the support you give, however you give it, whatever that looks like, thank you. That is all for episode number 103. Stay strong. Do the best you can. I'll talk to you soon.